<laughs> Too hot to handle and there's no Roger Billings. That's not right. <laughs> uh-huh, leave me hanging. <laughs> so how are you doing? I'm feeling better now. <laughs> Did you know that I made an invention? <laughs> no. It's amazing. What is it? What does it look like to you? It's like a key. ordinary key, right? An ordinary key. Uh -huh. It's not. No. You know, that guy had to have a friend tell him what he invented. <laughs> he did. I would appreciate if you'd tell me what I invented. The key to happiness. Bigger. The key to all scientific knowledge. Getting real close. The key to the universe. I don't know. That's, that's spot that's on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have invented the key to Peugeot's heart. No. <laughs> that's pretty big. No, serious. You've, you've this took a lot of work. Would you like to see a demonstration? Yeah. Of course they would. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead. You see here on my hand, I have, oh, this crooked, that's not going to work. There we go, get this straight so we can test this. There we go. Now can you see how it works? Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this key on my hand. And you see, like this is open. Okay? Okay. And locked. And I'm going to show you how I turn this key and unlock Peugeot's heart. Wow. A lot of people are nervous right now. <laughs> Including Peugeot. <laughs> You're a especially, lot of people. Yeah, especially Peugeot. There's a clip. Okay, now I want you to watch this and watch how I get it open. So I'll start like this. And I'm going to have to turn it so that it will be open. Oh, Whoops. Look at that. I'll try it again. Turn it so that it's open. You know what? There's some secrets in Peugeot's I, heart. You know what? I think this isn't in the right place. Okay. So I'm going to put it like this so that it's open. It doesn't, open. you know, I think that key's my friend. <laughs> hmm. What happens if you open my heart, my secrets? Doesn't look like we're going to find out today. <laughs> oh, well. No, that invention needs some help still. Maybe, maybe it opens something else. Maybe. You know, I once uh, woke up and I realized I want to be a famous artist. This is a true story. So I went out and I bought some oil paints. You know, you can buy them at the hobby store. Yeah. And I bought one of these big canvases. Mm -hmm. And you know, I saw this guy on TV once. Uh -huh. And you just stick your brush in the paint and da 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 da. Uh -huh. So I decided, what am I going to paint for my first? My first painting will be very famous because it'll be the first one I ever did. You know, <laughs> it would be during let's call it my romantic period or something. <laughs> so I decided I would paint a mountain. So I got my stuff. I even bought an easel to put the thing on, you know, while you paint it. I went up to the mountains, and I found this beautiful mountain. 
and I set up the canvas uh -huh. and I started to paint the mountain. And it, it takes time, especially on your first one. So painting, 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 painting. And then this hiker came through. And he was some random hiker. <laughs> and he came through, he said, what are you doing? I'm saying, I'm painting that mountain. And he came over and he looked. I didn't invite him. <laughs> he just came? He no, just... He, just, he just came around and go, let's see it. You know, and he started staring at my painting. It wasn't ready. It was only almost done. I would do that. And he looked at it, and he looked at it, and he looked at it, and he says, you know something? And he said, what? I thought he's going to say, you are a gifted artist. <laughs> but he didn't say that. He says, your painting doesn't look like that mountain. It looks more like that mountain. And I looked, and then I looked, you're right, that's the one I'm painting. <laughs> Moral of the story, I'm a scientist. <laughs> I'm sticking with the science, uh -huh. yeah. By the way, I was, I was pretty young when I did that. You know, I was just an older teenager. I was old enough to drive, and I did finish it, and I took it home and showed it to my wonderful mother. And she was so impressed, she decided she wanted to hang it in our home. That's a good sign. <laughs> I'm still a little bit wondering why she chose out in the garage. Part of your home. Yeah, but anyway, I was, I was grateful to have it. You know, there's, um, there's different kinds of information in the world. Scientific information, knowledge. And today I want to get into those different kinds of knowledge and have you maybe catch a vision of why education, why your education is so important to me and, and why you, it should be so important to you. Agreed? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in this world, we have um, a group of people called scholars. These are the really, really brilliant people. A lot of the scholars in America and in the world work at universities. I mean, a lot of them are university professors, faculty members. Some scholars are working in industry in different places. But they're brilliant. They not only have natural ability, but they've developed their abilities. and They've become very good at things. And they can invent things just with mathematics and, and with research and reading. Sometimes they do experiments in laboratories. But as a community, they share their results back and forth, and scientific knowledge progresses faster and faster each year. From my point of view, I call that kind of science basic or foundation or fundamental science. And I am very grateful to the scholars that make up the community that develop that knowledge. There's another kind of knowledge that is really interesting and important to inventioneers. And it's called applied knowledge. And my goal today is to see if I can help us understand the difference between the two. And it also helps I think, for us to decide what kind of a scholar we're going to be. Are we going to be 
an applied inventioneer type scholar or are we going to be a foundation or a fundamental or a basic scholar? And some people say, well, or maybe we're not going to be a scientist. And they say, well, you stay tuned and maybe you'll change your mind. <laughs> okay? So I'd like to uh, take an example. And the example that I'd like to take is, is a formula. And I'd, I'd like to write this formula out for it. We've all heard that math is the language of science. Many people have heard that. Not as many people understand what we mean. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could understand what it means for math to be the language of science? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to demonstrate by saying something to Lady Peget, and let's see if she gets it. 25x squared plus 1. I don't get it. <laughs> I spoke to her in the language of science. <laughs> and so now, let's see if we can get it. I want to show you a very famous formula. Now maybe that's not very big, but can you see it? Oh, now it's getting bigger. That's great. E equals IR. Nobody clapped. <laughs> um, this is a law. This isn't just a formula. This is a law. Now, some students have already taken algebra and gone on to classes way beyond it. But I think everybody's heard about algebra. In order to graduate from high school, you have to learn algebra in almost, if not every state. So algebra is a fundamental method of mathematics. If you learn algebra, you can solve problems that you probably couldn't solve without it. So it's, it's a tool. It's like if you want to make a hole in a piece of steel, a nice pretty little round hole, it might be pretty hard to do unless you have a drill. With a drill, it goes right through. Algebra is like a tool that helps you do things that are very beneficial. This formula, equals IR, is an algebraic formula. It's pretty simple. Now, I decided years and years ago that I wanted to be an airplane pilot. And in order to fly an airplane, you have to go to school. You have to go to flying school, where you learn to fly airplanes, and you have to go to ground school, where you learn to dig holes. No, where you learn. <laughs> to do the things you need to do to make a flight plan and to plan your trip and to navigate and to have enough fuel on board. It's very awkward when you're out in the middle of somewhere and you run out of fuel in an airplane. The car you pull over and you, you, know, you call, Peugeot, could you bring me some gas? <laughs> but in an airplane, you don't want to ever run out. And so they have a rule. You never get less than at the airport with a a full hour, a half hour, I always use a full hour of fuel on board just in case you have to divert to another airport or something. So when it was time to learn how to solve these problems that you have to learn how to do to become a pilot, uh, the guys in my class had these little flight calculators. They were little things with wheels on them and you'd set in how many hours you're flying and which way the wind's blowing and things like that and they calculate the answers to the problems that have to pass on the written exam. To be a pilot, you have to pass a written exam. Well, learning how to run those calculators was really complicated. 
lot of memorization study and so forth. And when I started looking at the problems, I realized that every single problem that I had to answer on the exam, I could answer with algebra. Mm. I didn't have to use one of those flight calculators. Algebra was all I needed. And if students realize the power of algebra in their lives, if they'd learn algebra so they could actually use it like a tool, it'd be really amazing. You know, think of a guy that got a wonderful new drill bit and a drill, electric drill with a battery, real nice one, for the holidays as a gift, but he didn't know what it was. So he took it to his office and he put it up on his bookshelf <laughs> as art to display. What good was that drill to him? Well, it was, a, it was a nice piece of art. And people come in and say, did you see my art? Oh, looks like a drill. <laughs> and it was a drill. But he didn't realize he could use it to make beautiful holes, even in steel or wood or anything. So that's kind of how it is with algebra. A lot of students use it, and they get through it. They learn how to pass the algebra test and graduate and go on to the next grade. But I didn't. When I studied algebra, I learned it like it. I wanted it to be a tool that I owned, something I put in my toolbox and I could really, really use it. Tell you what, uh, anyone that has been around me knows that I really believe in algebra and what it can do, and we use it all the time in our research. Well, this happens to be what is known to electrical engineers as Ohm's Law. And E equals IR. And a lot of people would write this in a more simplistic way. If you have E equals IR, you have a nice scholarly law, and you can use it to make calculations. Now, E is representing voltage. I is represented in current, which is in amperes, and R means resistance. So you could say those are the same thing, just with different symbols. Why do scientists use E and I? Because looking at the big picture of things, they use more exacting terms so that they're absolutely correct. But really, you're talking about voltage, current, which is measured in amperes, and resistance. Now, voltage is about electricity. You heard, oh, don't plug it in, it's 110 volts, you'll get shocked. Well, voltage is how hard you're pushing the electrons. If it's a high voltage, you're pushing them very hard. If it's a low voltage, you're pushing them soft. Amperage is how fast the electrons are moving. Are you moving just a few electrons through a light bulb, through a motor, through something? And we measure the flow of electrons, how many electrons are going by per second. We measure that in amperes. And resistance is how small a hole are you pushing them through? What kind of resistance to flow? So this formula can be used algebraically to solve different things. And I want to show you. Now, you can, you can learn about Ohm's Law. You can pass an exam. But I want to show you how it can become useful information. To, to get us on this, this wavelength, I'd like to give you another example. We could have a contest and say, 
Who can guess how much Lady Peget weighs? I knew that was coming. <laughs> I thought, are we really going there? Of course, we would never know if we were wrong or right, would we? Never know. Or would we? Nope. Well, <laughs> let's, uh, let's just have someone here. Take a get. Now that would oh, be, be unfair. Brave, brave. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll use pretend weights. Okay, let's pretend that Lady Peget weighs 135 pounds. Okay, that's just nice. She weighs 135 pounds. But when she and her people were visiting the moon, and she weighed. She only weighed 35 pounds. Did she go on a diet? Did she lose weight traveling to the moon? Or was the gravity on the moon less? So now you start realizing there's more to weight. She still had the same number of atoms with the same mass. But weight has to do with the mass and how much it's pulled down by planet. On Jupiter, she was so heavy she could barely walk. Because Jupiter has an enormous gravity because it's such a big planet. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the practical knowledge is what is your weight? But it only makes sense to talk about a person's weight if you know what planet they're on. That's why scientists talk about mass, about how many atoms, and then they can calculate what your weight would be on different planets. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at Ohm's Law and see if we can find the practical side of it. So if we had a device called a resistor, a little thing with wires on it that electricity would flow through depending on the resistance. And these are usually made out of something like carbon. And how much carbon there is in there is how resistive it is. And it actually is really important to be able to have the right amount of resistance for a reason I want to show you. I want you to understand this because it really is neat and you'll understand how to do a lot of things with it. But Resistance is the R factor here. And you can actually solve this equation algebraically to change it around. For example, I can solve it for R. I can say, and I'm not going to teach algebra tonight, but those of you that know will follow with me. R equals V, and you divide both sides by A. So R is the volts divided by the amps, or the current. Okay. So now, what if we were to do an experiment to see if we can, we can prove this formula, okay? Let's take, for example, uh, if I solve it for A, for amps, that would be kind of a good way, uh, but I'd like to solve it for resistance, and I want the volts to be 2.2 volts, and there's a reason why I'm going to use that number, and I want the current to be 0 0.10, excuse me, 0 0.010, 10 milliamps, or 10 thousandths of an amp. I could do that calculation if I had a calculator. Okay, there. Which I just happen to have. Yep, there it is. So I'm going to do my calculator. And so I'm going to take 2.2 divided by 0.01. Ah! It's 220 ohms. We write ohms like that, OK? That would be the answer. So the resistance equals 220 
ohms. Now, why do I use these numbers? Well, 2.2 volts, 0 0.01 amps. Hmm. Happens to be useful numbers when we're working with a particular circuit. I'd like to show you that. Now we get into the good stuff. I'm now going to put on my safety goggles, <laughs> also known as reading glasses. There we go. Be careful with this. Mm -hmm. And come on, experiment. More space? I need space. Okay. Give me my space. Okay, so now I'm all set up here. I have a multimeter that can measure different things. Mm hmm, good. And that's kind of hard to see in this light. Can you see that meter? Mm. Uh, there you can. Go. Oh, if we tilt it just right, you can see it, can't Don't you? Let me go hold it. Yeah, would you like to be the, hold, it, hold us up here? Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll put it over like this. Uh, and then you're going to tilt it so we can read that, right? Tilt, clear up there. Tilt, tilt, tilt. You are so good at this. Yeah, yeah, keep it straight and neat. Science, science is always higher, higher. I love this. Now get comfortable. Okay. <laughs> You're really, really I, we good. We found at this. a job. For okay, me. I so <laughs> I have right here, teeny tiny, is a little LED light. We've been talking a lot about light emitting diodes. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple batteries uh, off the camera. There they are. Nice and cozy. I have a couple batteries in a holder, and these batteries come over with two wires, and I'd like to hook them up to this LED, and I'd like to turn it on. However, I hook these batteries up to the LED, and I got, <coughs> I got a flash, and it burnt out the LED. That's why I have a whole packet of spares, <laughs> just in case I do it again. And the problem is, this LED can only take a certain amount of voltage, and there's too much voltage here in this three volts coming from two little batteries. So I've got to figure out how to lower the voltage to be able to get what I want. Now, in our calculation, I just happened to figure out how much voltage I needed to drop here to limit the current. To light up this LED, I don't need one amp. That's how fast electrons are going by. One amp is a lot of electrons. I don't need a tenth of an amp. I don't need a hundredth of an amp. Oh, actually, I do need a hundredth of an amp. I need one hundredth of an amp, which is also ten thousandths of an amp. It's the same thing, in order for this to light up just the right amount. So if you look at this circuit, I have the, the LED, and I have a resistor, and I can put those in series. So the resistor will slow down the flow of electrons so it doesn't burn up the LED. By Ohm's law, I calculated that I needed 220 ohms resistance. Now, I just, by coincidence, mm -hmm. happen to have a book here of resistors. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well you can read that. Is it in focus? Mm -hmm. There it comes. Can you see that number there? Oh, maybe if I tilt that up a little bit, too. Can you see it? Mm -hmm. So that's one ohm resistor. I have all of these different resistors that have different resistance. And having a nice book like this, I can get any resistor I need. Well, in this case, I need one that's 220 ohms. So I can pull out these resistors, and lo and behold, 
that's what I need to be able to do the circuit. So according to my calculation, if I put that resistor in series with this LED, it will light up without burning out. Let's see if it'll work. So I've got the resistor hooked up to the black wire here. This is a little board that connects a power along here. You can see that blue stripe. That blue stripe is actually the ground, and then the red stripe over here I've hooked up to the red, and these are all the same. And then these are connected up to each other. So I've got the resistor going to the ground. Now I'm going to take the LED, put it on the plus 5, and put it, and look at that. Can you see that that's yeah. glowing? Yeah. Hmm. And it's glowing a nice brightness, mm -hmm. and it didn't go and burn out, <laughs> that's which, that's is, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to predict how much current is flowing through that resistor, and I'm going to do it with Ohm's Law. Being able to design a circuit, we're going to let you take that over for a minute. Okay. Being able to design a circuit and be able to value the resistors, capacitors, inductors, and other things mm -hmm. is very important. So let's just say that I have, I, I want to know what my current is, how much, how fast electrons are going by. And I think it's going to be about a hundredth of an amp, 0 0.01. So let's just try it. So I, I solve Ohm's law for amps. So I put amps are equal to voltage. And if you don't know how to do this, then you will take algebra and learn it. Divided by R. I know that my voltage is 2.2 volts. And the resistance is 220 ohms. Right? Could that be true? 2.2, 220? Mm -hmm. Calculator is missing. Are you through with it? <laughs> Just about. Oh, thank you. It's <laughs> so sweet. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see if we can. This, this would be something we almost do in our hiss. 2.2 divided by 220, hmm, 0.01. So that's 10 milliamps. That's mm -hmm. exactly what LEDs like. So it says that we have the circuit right, but now I want to calculate it for the full three volts without the LED so that I can see if this Ohm's law really works. I can test it. So I'm going to use 3.0 volts divided by 220. And when I calculate it, so 3.0 volts divided by 220 equals, ooh, now it's going to be point. Zero, one, three, six. So that's going to be point one three, zero or point zero one three, and it's in the middle between three and four. What if we now could test that circuit and see how close we can get to that to see if this Ohm's law really works? It better. We're busted if it doesn't. <laughs> I'll have to go back to being an artist. Okay, so what we're going to do then is we're going to put one of these wires on the end of the resistor and the other one, of course, right on the 5 volts. And lo and behold, what, is, what do we get? Can you see that? Mm -hmm. 0.013. The meter is reading exactly what it's supposed to that is so funny. Which means Ohm's Law. Rocks.
is rocking. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I can design this circuit so that the LEDs will work and there'll be the brightness that I want. And so I'm taking the language of science, which is this Ohm's law. I'm putting it to work, by the way. I do want to turn that off because it's running down the battery. Okay. So thank you, calculator, for your help. So we could say that the higher the voltage, the more current you get for a given resistance. And, and then we'd just be talking about it. But with this formula, we have a precise interaction between these different items so that we can make precise calculations and thereby be empowered to do things. That's practical knowledge. That's knowledge where you can actually use it. And for those of you who had algebra, this is a pretty simple thing. For those of you who haven't had it yet, boy, I hope this makes you look forward to it. Mm -hmm. I really, really love algebra. And if you guys have had algebra but you haven't tasted geometry yet, it's, it's amazing. And then trigonometry, these are different mathematical tools that you can do things with. And then you get up into the calculus. If you really want to understand the universe, Calculus is a must-have. Calculus is fascinating because it allows you to be able to see relationships in things even when they're not intuitive. When you get into things like space-time, three dimensions, I mean, one dimension is just back and forth. Two dimensions is like everything on a sheet of paper. Three dimensions is where it has depth. So we can, we can visualize three-dimensional space. But when you go to four-dimensional space, like where you add the element of time, then it starts to become very unintuitive. It's hard to see it in our minds. And calculus allows us to see things in these other dimensions. And what about five dimensions and six? And physicists say, hey, we can do as many dimensions as you want. <laughs> and with the calculus, you can. So that takes us someplace interesting. Did, did you want to add something on this? I think it's neat to see how it's applicable to real-world situations. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Since we're using this voltmeter and we have this resistor here, I think one more thing that would be kind of interesting, if I could get you to help me one more time, we lost a wire, and it's now hooked to my shoe, which is we're not We're measuring cool. the resistance down there. Oh, there's a lot of resistance <laughs> down the there, voltage. isn't there? Mm -hmm. Coming up, coming up, found a wire. Okay. Mm -hmm. Voltmeters, which is this little critter here, a multimeter, is a real handy tool. You can do so many things with it. You need one of these in your, in your home lab, a laboratory when you can get it. I love it. Right now, I have this probe put over here for measuring current. I'm going to pull it out and put it in the general side over here. And then I'm going to flip this little clicker. It's hard to see, but I'm going to flip it over to measuring resistance in ohms. And I'm going to do that so we can see how much resistance this resistor has. You remember we said in the book it said it has 220 ohms. So I'll hook this side up to it and we'll measure it and we have, oh look at that, 222 ohms. And it says it's 2200 220 ohms, so it's off by 
0.02. It's really close. If we go back to our little book of resistors, something kind of interesting. We turn it to the back of the book. I always like looking in the back of the book. It's where the answers are. <laughs> and here are the answers. This is a resistor table. And it shows you how to read a resistor. Our little resistor has colors painted on it. Like here's a resistor here with these colors. And if you can zoom in just a little tighter, tight, 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 keep going. A little more, a little more. Let's get it tight. There, that's perfect. Okay, so there are bands of colors around the resistor. The first band in this one is yellow. The first band in ours happens to be red. Or is it orange? Red. Red. It's red. It's red orange. Oh, it's red. <laughs> it's red. Exactly. So we look at the first band and we say if it's red, well then the first digit of the value is two. You look at the second color and it's red also. It's red also. Red also. <laughs> Do you like my glass? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so if it's red also, then you look at the second digit, uh, and it's also two. Amazing. The third digit is, hmm, in this case, it is black, which is zero. So we've got two, two, zero. And we know that just because of colors. And then the last digit is the multiplier, and our multiplier is black, so we come over here, multiplier, black is times one. So it's 220 times one is 220 ohms. This code of colors is a universal resistor code. So you can pick up any resistor, and if you look at this, you can tell what the resistor is just by looking at the colors. And then this last one over here is tolerance. That tells you, is it plus or minus one ohm? Is it plus or minus? And in our case, we were two off, weren't we? Two ohms, and, mm -hmm. and it was within the tolerance of the device. So it's good to know about. This is practical knowledge. This is the kind of stuff you have to have if you're going to get your fingers dirty. And what we just did, we calculated with the language of science, we calculate with Ohm's law what the resistor value should be. We found one in a real resistor book. We pulled it out. We stuck it in, right? Right. And then we didn't burn out the LED, mm -mm. which is bravo. It's kind of embarrassing when you burn out the first LED. And there's, there's something else about this that you may have noticed or you may not have noticed, so I'm going to just show you again. When I put the LED in, do you remember how it lit up, which was a hurray, hurray moment? <laughs> well, I have a little bend on this, this LED. It's kind of hard to see because there's short, short wires. Yeah, let's zoom way down here. Can you see those little wires? I have a little bend so that I can tell which okay. way to put it. If I put the bend out this way to the red or the plus 5, it lights up like... Let's see if I can get it back in the holes. Lights up like that. Now I'm going to pull it out, turn it around, and put it in backwards. When I put it in backwards, nothing happens. Now we're back to the applied practical knowledge. Uh, 
LED is a light-emitting diode. A diode is an electronic device that will let electricity go through one way only. If it goes that way, it can go through. tries to go the other way, it can't. I've got it backwards so the electrons can't flow. They're blocked. If I pull it out, flip it around the other way, then they can, voila, we have light. That's where you start to be able to do the applied knowledge. Of engineers have to learn how to dip into the well of knowledge that the scholars are putting in there. And every time some scholar doing foundation or fundamental research has a new breakthrough, a new discovery, and they publish it and they put it into the well of knowledge, and engineers are drying it up and saying, okay, what am I going to make with this? I'm going to make a glue that is so good you can hold airplanes together. But what if you're flying through the airplane and the wings start coming off? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> right? So you don't say that your experiment was a failure. What do you say? What do you say when the wing comes off? Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> I like that. What I was trying to say, this is a post-it note. <laughs> that's right. right? And that's, that's kind of how points. it works. <laughs> I want to leave you. I could do a demonstration or I could do a story. And I'm going to let Lady Paget decide which one I'm going to do. Story. Really? You want a story? Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. I was afraid of that. What's, <laughs> what's story? Stories. Oh, yeah, I have one. All right. So this is about hooking the plane together with glue or with rivets, you know, whatever. Airplanes are mainly riveted together so they don't come unscrewed. But in this particular plane, they were trying to figure out how to make an airplane that would be able to fly very, very, very fast. They put a jet engine on it. They were testing the plane. The pilot was out there and said, okay, now dive into the high speed mode. And so the plane would dive down, pick up speed as you go down, you get faster and faster. And then before he hit the ground, he'd pull up and both wings would break off. And they'd break off at a certain place right along the side of the fuselage. It was hard on the pilot, too. And so the scientists would go back together, why did they break off? And they said, well, the wings aren't strong enough. So they went out and they put braces right where it breaks, little braces to make the wing twice as strong. Sent another pilot up. He dove, he picked up speed, he pulled up, both wings broke in the same place. Mm -hmm. They said, we need bracing underneath too. So they built a third plane to put bracing underneath. He dove, pulled up, both wings broke again. So now they're really discouraged. They don't know what to do. Then they went and got an inventioneer. Inventioneers have practical knowledge. And they said, um, so what would an inventioneer do in this case? How would you solve this problem? And the inventioner said, well, it's easy. I would just go drill holes. You would fix this wing problem by drilling holes? Yes, I'd go drill holes. Show us. So they got a fourth airplane, and the inventioner got up there with the drill, and he said, show me where it always breaks. And they drew a line across the wing, and the inventioner drew holes all the way down that line where it's going to break. And they said, that's just going to make it weaker. That's just going to make it break even before he dives. 
And he went over the other way, and he did the same thing. He drilled holes right <laughs> down the line. And he thought, I'm not even going to waste a, a pilot maybe having a bad landing. I, I don't think we should even fly this plane. <laughs> and I says, well, you need to be social. We may hurt his feelings <laughs> if right. we don't at least fly it. He said, well, we might hurt the pilot's feelings <laughs> if we didn't. Uh, we got to fly it. So they flew the plane. He dove down. He picked up speed. He started pulling up. And the plane didn't break. Tried it again. The plane didn't break. And they tried over and over, and the wings were as beautiful and strong as ever. And so they went to the inventioner and they said, we don't get it. We've been studying science all of our lives. Why in the world did drilling holes right where it breaks? That would weaken it. Why did it make it not break? And the inventioner says, well, to us inventioners, it's a thing we call the toilet paper principle. You know. It never tears on the dotted line. <laughs> you asked for it. See you next wait, time. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We have the announcement of the century. Yes. And we I, do. I want you for to real. really be ready for this. Every once in a while, we have the opportunity to recognize an exceptional person a person that has made a contribution that changes the world in science and in technical achievement. And we have such a person that we want to announce today has just been recognized by this International Academy of Science within a, dis a Lifetime Distinguished Service Award. Go ahead, Chairman. Chairperson. <laughs> Chairman. It's uh, Dr. Nejat Vizarolu, who has made a remarkable, significant impact on this world. He has published over 350 scientific publications. And some of his biggest accomplishments and achievements, which he's um, very proud of, um, establishing the first PhD engineering program and Clean Energy Research Institute at the University of Miami. And um, he thinks hydrogen is the best and the cleanest fuel. And he says a lot of wonderful things about Dr. Billings. But they're expensive. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like to just chirp in here if I could. I met Dr. Nejat Vizarolu many, 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 many years ago. We were at a conference, and five of us were, were sitting between sessions and talked about creating an international organization to promote scientific energy and research. At that little get-together, we decided we were going to call it the Hindenburg Society after the Hindenburg hydrogen accident, and, and it was kind of a joke. But you know, he took this idea and developed the International Association for Hydrogen Energy, and he built that into the premier hydrogen technical research organization in the world. And he attracted membership from all over the world. Uh, he has chaired uh, conferences of this organization for decades. He's published proceedings, monthly proceedings. There is more knowledge accumulated about hydrogen energy because of this one man than anywhere else in the world times 100. And so it is 
a thrill for me to recognize my most distinguished dear friend, Dr. Nejat Vizzarolu, as the recipient of the International Academy of Science Outstanding Lifetime Achievement Award. And if you want to take a look at him on our website, I believe today uh, Nejat is 98 years old, nearly as old as me. <laughs> but he is one of my favorite people in all the world, and our world is different. Right now, it seems like everybody's beginning to realize that it's going to be hydrogen energy, after all, that's going to keep the lights on. And one of the reasons that that's happened is because tens of thousands of technical problems and challenges that needed to be overcome have been overcome because the scientists of the world, thousands of scientists of the world, have come together in this wonderful organization, in this wonderful technical journal, and shared the accumulated knowledge. Uh, congratulations. Uh, Dr. Nejat Vizzarolo, you are our hero. And we have a special treat, which um, is his, his wife, but his distinguished wife, which is Dr. Ifer Vizzarolo, who um, recorded a little recognition receiving of the award. And I might point out that <laughs> this incredible woman is, is also a champion of science. In the last... Uh, many years, she has taken over and has really pushed this association and become uh, the spark plug of, of keeping it going, the conferences, the publications. And I am so thrilled that she would send us this video to accept this recognition. Hi. My name is Ayfer Vizirolu. I am the wife of Tenejat Vizirolu, also Executive Vice President of International Association for Hydrogen Energy. I am also President of Hydrogen Energy Publication, which published the International Journal of Hydrogen Energy. It is a great honor for me to receive this special Lifetime Achievement Award from Academy of Science on behalf of Tenejat Vizirolu. Thank you all who believe in him and join him in this unforgettable journey. Thank you, Dr. Roger Billings and his team achieving such an important role in the educational system. Thank you. Wow. I don't have words to tell you how great these people are. And I hope that you'll be inspired by their example and carry on this kind of work. The, the world is better because people like Nejat and his wonderful wife make it so. Thank you. Study hard.